In Mark chapter 4, Jesus was teaching a crowd of people, and this teaching is called mostly the parable of the sower. It has other names, but we refer to it as the parable of the sower many months ago when we talked about Mark chapter 4. The story in Mark 4 is very simple. It goes like this. A farmer went out to sow seed, and it fell on four different types of soils. And Jesus briefly describes those different soils. And this was an incredible revelation from God. Everybody, thousands of people at that point in Jesus's ministry were in the crowds listening to the Son of God talk about this wonderful thing, this incredible thing. It's, it's pregnant with revelation because it's from Jesus. He wants to convey truth. And clearly he is doing that. But I think what's interesting about it is after Jesus gives this teaching, he doesn't explain anything at all. He just says, there's a farmer. He goes out to sow some seed. He sows it on the the path. He sows it on the rocky places, the thorny places, and then the good soil. And the good soil produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. And then he ends his sermon. He ends this teaching by saying this in Mark 4, 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. I mean, it's just such a funny thing to me where Jesus gives this teaching. Nobody understood what he was talking about. And then he closes his sermon with, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And here's what we know happened. Thousands of people walked away confused. They had no idea. You can imagine these people going home And their friends and family that couldn't make it to the Jesus conference asked them, did Jesus teach today? And they said, oh yeah. They said, was it really good? And they said, oh yeah, it was really good. It was profound. My jaw was dropped. I I, I was overwhelmed. I mean, it's just so profound. It was emanating from him. I was feeling something in my heart when he was teaching. And they go, what did he say? And they go, well, he talked about a, a farmer. And they go, yeah, a farmer. They talked about seed. Okay, all right. He talked about different, different soils and the path and the rocks. And then he kind of, some bird of the air is going to come and snatch it. That was, that's kind of strange. And then, uh, and, 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 then he, and then at the end, he said, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And they go, what does it mean? They go, I have no idea. <laughs> I was feeling to see if I had some ears. I was, I was wondering, like, what is he talking about? Thousands of people were confused, but listen to this. All of them heard Jesus teach. Every one of them verbatim from the mouth of the Son of God. They heard every single word. In our Bible, it's nine verses, but they heard the words, every one of them, but not every one of them understood. In fact, none of them did, but there is something special that happens. And as we talk about pursuing the voice of God, to me, this is the posture that I think is required if we're really gonna be marked with the pursuit of his voice. Listen to this in verse 10. As soon as he was alone, His followers along with the 12, this is a remnant. The Bible speaks of a remnant often. A remnant of people begin to ask him about the parables and he said to them, to you, listen to this, to you, to who? To you that are coming and inquiring further. To you, it has been given the mystery of the kingdom, but those who are outside, those who went away, I'm gonna give them everything in parables so that while seeing they will not see and they will not perceive. And while hearing, they will not hear and understand. Otherwise, if they did, they would return and be forgiven. See, did you catch this? 
He says to you, to those that made a decision to come to me, you came closer. You wanted to hear. There were thousands of people that were just fine with hearing what Jesus had to say, getting their needs met. Thank you for the fish. Thank you for the loaves. Thank you for all the things that you provide, the miracles and the signs and the wonders. I wanted to be part of the crowd. It was great to be there. It's a memory that I get to share with my friends and my family. I was part of the thousands, but to you, to the ones that made a decision to pursue, to press in. Do you see the posture that is required if we're going to hear from the Lord? Thousands of people were content to stay in their confusion. What does the Bible mean? I have no idea. But to those that pursue, to those that inquire, to those that want to know more, they are not content with confusion. They want to know what God is saying. Friends, that is the heart of a person that is marked with the pursuit of his voice. I wanna tell you today, hearing the voice of God is not rocket science. It is not for the special. It is not for the elite. It is for those that might just say, I don't understand what God is saying. And so they decide to press in and go even further. Now, friend, I wanna ask you a question today. Do you think you can do that? Do you think you can press in and ask of the Lord when you don't understand something? Have you ever felt like you just don't understand what God is saying? Have you ever read the Bible and you thought, man, this is a big book and a lot of words and kind of ancient and I'm not really sure, but I want to know what God is saying. I want to know to those people, they will hear the voice of of God. And I see this as the posture that is required. Ears to hear is about our posture. He says, to you, it has been given the mystery of the kingdom. This is a heart that pursues his voice, his counsel, his clarity, his desires. I think it's required. I really do. There's two things I want to talk to you about today as we sort of frame up pursuing God's voice. And the first is I want to talk to you about the perspectives for hearing God's, for pursuing God's voice. The second is I want to talk to you about principles. I could start with principles. I could tell you all the things that we do. And I bet you a lot of you, if not most of you already know most of those things. If I asked you today, what do you know what you need to do in order to hear God better in your life? I bet you 90% of our hands would go up in guilt and shame. Yeah, I got to pray more. I need to read the Bible more. I've never journaled before. I used to do that. I haven't done that. I should probably fast because it's been many years. You know, I bet everybody has an answer. I know we do. We ought to do some of the things that we used to do or God's been calling us to do. So the principles, I think most of us know those things. I'm going to go over them here shortly. But I think there's perspectives that are required. I think for people that pursue the voice of God, they have a certain mentality. They have a certain mindset. It's not just sort of a casual way. There's something about the way they think that draws them to God to receive what he is saying. And I wanna first talk to you about what that looks like. And I wanna start with Matthew chapter four. In this passage, the context is quite simple. Jesus has been baptized by John in the Jordan River. The spirit of God came upon him powerfully and he was led into the desert where he would be tempted by the enemy. Here's what it says in verse one. Jesus led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. 
And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. He answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds or comes forth from the mouth of God. I want you to notice verse four, because this is a quotation from the Old Testament, specifically in Deuteronomy and chapter eight. This is where he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But we've got to go back to Deuteronomy 8 and read that to better understand what Jesus says and what he means. Why is he bringing this up now? Why is he bringing this up when the enemy's coming against him? But here's the context of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses is preparing the people of Israel to go into the long-awaited promised land. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Everybody say long time. <laughs> That's a long time. Two things he says to them in Deuteronomy 8. He reminds them of their deliverance from Egypt and all that God did to bring them to where they are. He wanted them to go back in their minds as they're setting themselves to go into the promised land. This is where you were and God is the one that got you to where you are. And all the while he gave you a promise about where you're going. Don't forget that. The second thing he tells them in Deuteronomy 8 is he summarized the lessons that they learned in the wilderness for the last 40 years. In other words, there were things that God wanted to do in their hearts and for them as a people and they needed to take those lessons with them into the promised land if they were going to have a fruitful way, which God surely intended. In other words, God allowed them in the wilderness, in the desert for that length of time because he had lessons to teach them that weren't just to teach them a lesson. Like when parents like, I'm gonna teach you a lesson. We're talking about punishment. That's not the kind of lesson. It's I wanna set you up. I wanna fill you up. I wanna give you a way of thinking so that when you go there, you no longer think like you did when you came out of Egypt. There are lessons. You've gotta take them with you. Here's what it says, Deuteronomy chapter eight and verse one. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you might live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these last 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now listen to this. He humbled you. And he let you be hungry and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every, everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Now, this passage uh, is not just standalone because it refers to Exodus chapter 16. I don't know if you see the connection. There's Matthew 4. And it refers to Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8 refers to Exodus 16. This is why we have to read the whole Bible. You can't understand what Jesus is talking about unless you, Deuteronomy 8. But then you got to go back to Exodus 16. I'll summarize that story. They had just come out of Egypt. They had crossed through the Red Sea. And at that time, they had no food. And God came up with a distribution food plan that was better than Uber. He said, here's what I want you to do. In the morning, you're going to wake up and I'm gonna cause a coriander-like seed substance. It's like a bread-like substance. It's gonna fall from heaven and it's gonna cover the ground. I want you to take up enough for you and your family. 
And to prepare for the Sabbath, before the Sabbath day, I want you to take up enough for two days. Don't take up too much because it'll rot. And don't take up too little because you're gonna go hungry. This is the method, this is the plan that Jesus, or that God implemented during that time for them to learn how to trust him, that what he says is the truth. You may not have food, but you know who you have, and that's more important. So if God says that I'm gonna rain down bread from heaven every day, you just follow my plan, trust what I have to say, and you shall live. And he wanted them to understand this, and he wanted them to take that lesson and the many other lessons along the path in Deuteronomy chapter eight and all that they had learned in the wilderness with them into the promised land. I wanna use what Jesus says here and the context of Deuteronomy to give us three perspectives that I think are important or probably required if we're gonna be a people that are pursuing the voice of God, if that's our posture. And the first perspective is this, we have to know that we are challenged by the many voices in our life. We have to know this. This isn't something that should take us by surprise. We have to realize that when we wake up in the morning, we've got an enemy. When you wake up in the morning, you're gonna get challenged on the promises and the truth of God's word in your life. This isn't something that we can be casual about. We have to understand someone's trying to rob from you. And if you knew that, if you wake up in the morning and you know somebody's trying to rob from you, you will provide levels of security so that will not happen. In the context of Matthew chapter four, we read that the devil comes to Jesus three times and it carries a historical significance. But the devil doesn't just come to Jesus, there's a history. The enemy comes to Eve in Genesis chapter three, the patriarchs throughout the book of Genesis. And then in Exodus, it doesn't say devil, but we know that the enemy was provoking Israel, the people of God to think like they used to think, to do what they used to do. Whether we see his name in there or not, we know that he had a power at work against God's people. And so there's a historical significance that when Jesus takes a stand, the reality is he is the only one that overcame the voice of the enemy. And he did that not for himself only, but on our behalf, because humans have failed when it comes to the challenging voices that come against us. We give in to the lust of the flesh. We give in to the lust to the pride of life. We give in to the enemy's lies and deception. We have a history with that, but Jesus did no such thing. And he responded to the enemy with Deuteronomy chapter eight and verse three. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This means that we need to know what God has said in his word, and we need to hear what God is saying by the Holy Spirit. We live in a world that is filled with noise that is challenging us all the time. And I'm talking about all of the noise that's just sort of blaring at us. And the Bible says that there is such a thing called the world system. And the enemy has infused this system in such a way to draw on our flesh, to draw us away from the things of God, the purpose of God, in order to be distracted by total insignificance or destroy us. He'll take us as far as he possibly can. And we're people that we have to unplug from the world system and the structures and the way people are trying to draw us into these thoughts that take us away from what God is saying. Friends, I'm saying we have to have, we have to guard ourselves against the other voices in our life. But first you have to know that they're there. 
People ask me at times, probably number one question I get when it comes to hearing the voice of God is how do you discern all the voices? How do you discern through all the voices and really lay hold of God's voice? The first and the most important principle is we have to be consumed with God's voice. If you're consumed with God's voice, you will pick off the voice of the stranger right away. It isn't that hard to see a counterfeit when you know the real thing. When you know the voice of your shepherd and someone else tries to deceive you, friend, I'm telling you, you hear that voice and you walk away from it. It's all about staying close. How do we do that? We got to know his word and we got to stay close to the person of the Holy Spirit as we follow Jesus. I'm talking about being consumed today, being consumed with his voice. What is the contrasting perspective to this? That would be, we can be casual. We can fill ourselves with every other voice and it won't affect us. We can go about our day and not be intentional with our life with God. And somehow when, when we need God, we'll be able to locate his voice. We'll be able to know, friend, I wanna tell you that's a lie. It's not gonna happen. If we're not consumed with God, the Bible calls it following Jesus. It doesn't mean following at a distance where sometimes we're not sure where he is. It means we're following as close as we possibly can. We're following him. We're living in the dust of our rabbi's feet, so to speak. We can taste the dust of his feet. This is what it means. And so that when the other voices come, it's not that hard. We cannot have a casual perspective. We have to have one that knows there is an enemy. There are many voices trying to distract. The second perspective is this. We are dependent on God's voice. I'll remind you, Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The children of Israel did not know this in their exodus, but Jesus knew this in his temptation. Our life comes from what God says. Our life is found in the word of God. What is God saying? What has God said? This concept that is being conveyed is completely about dependence completely about dependence. We don't need to hear God sometimes or when we feel our needs, when it gets really tough. Friend, I want to tell you today, we need to hear God all the time. We need to hear him all the time. The contrasting perspective is transactional. It's if we need God, we'll ask for his help, wisdom, and counsel. If I, if I get into a jam, I'll, I'll, I'll call on him. If I get into a situation where I don't know what to do, then I'll talk to him. Friend, by that time, what I have learned is usually it's too late. And here's what I mean by that. You say, Ben, you, you can't call on God when you really need him. Of course you can. But what that usually means is that it's indicative of the kind of Christian life that we're living, which is not what the Bible teaches. Let me prove it to you. You don't seem convinced. I'll tell on myself. I was going to tell on somebody else. I, when I was a kid, <laughs> it's not good. When I was a kid, um, friends, I'll just tell you, all right? I didn't listen to my parents very well. If you're a kid in the room, do different. Come on, amen. All right. I didn't listen to my parents very well. You know why? Because I didn't think I had to. And they talk to you about hygiene and flossing, and they talk to you about all this stuff, you know, and you're like, whatever. Little do you know that you're going to get a mouthful of cavities. You end up in that dentist office and you're staring at your parents and they're just not even trying to look at you because they've been telling you the entire time what you're supposed to do. 
And now you're looking at them like, and you're asking them all of these questions based on where you are. But the fact is your parents have been telling you the whole time what you should be doing. And we have ignored what they've said up until this point. And now we're saying, do I really need to do this? Is this really what needs to happen? Do I really need a root canal? All of that type of stuff. Yes, you do because... No flossy, no brushy, root canale. <laughs> but I didn't always listen. Remember when you got your first car or, or you started driving? When I was 16, I got a car. And I thought, you know, the car was just going to keep driving. You put gas in the car, the car keeps driving. Did I have any parents telling me, you know, you need to take care of the car. You need to get the oil change. But I thought I knew stuff. I thought I knew stuff. Friend, we didn't know half of what we thought we did. And then you end up in the mechanic and the mechanic's saying, you got like a $900 bill. And back today, that'd be 5,000, you know, <laughs> whatever. Inflation. Come on, it's hit us all, hasn't it? I think I paid $12 for my coffee this morning. I don't remember. It's terrible. You're at the mechanic and they're like, it's a $900 bill. And the fact is, is that you haven't been taking care of your, see, here's what I'm trying to say is, is that God is speaking to us all throughout our life. And what we, what we tend to do because the world, it's so dazzling. It invites us into this path or this way of life. And we don't realize it's a conveyor belt away from God. And when we keep giving ourselves to the filth of the world, or we fill our minds up with lesser things and we're filled with total significance. And we want to know what God wants and what he's saying, but we give little time to the Bible and hardly any time to prayer because that's where he's speaking to us. And we don't know what he's saying. And then we get to this place and we're like, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What are you saying to my life? God's been speaking the whole time. I'm not saying there aren't times where we have to seek him. I'm not saying there aren't times where, where we should be in that place, but it shouldn't be all the time. It shouldn't be the norm of our relationship. It shouldn't be that way. If there's one thing that we as the people of God want to be better and better at, it's having a vibrant prayer life. It's waking up in the morning and saying, God, what do you want me to do? What is my life about today? Who do you want me to speak to? Use me today. We've got to get better at that. Man doesn't live by bread alone. It's not just the, the money that I'm provided for in my job. You can take my job, but you cannot take my source. Jesus is the source. That's the point. It's what he was trying to teach the Israelites constantly. It's dependence. Everybody say dependence. I, I want to say this, but you have to understand me. Promise that you won't take this out of context. Everybody say, I promise. All right. As this, a couple of you didn't do that. I'm going to find you. I know you're like, I will not yield to what you tell me. To. All right. I'm kind of like you, so I know you're out there, but... Um, God is not primarily concerned about our obedience as much as dependence. Hold on. When we're seeking God, I want you to speak to me, Lord, tell me what to do. What the underlying principle there is God's going to tell me what to do right now. And then I'm just supposed to obey him. That's the underlying principle there. But here's the reality. What I'm teaching is not a transactional way. Like when we get into a spot, then let's call on God. That happens sometimes. That should happen sometimes. But it shouldn't be our relationship with God as a norm. It should be a daily living relationship with the Lord. Here's what he's, Jesus said in John 15. Apart 
from me, you can do. How many of us don't believe that? When God calls us to do something, he is with us when we do it. He doesn't say, go do that and then come back and show me the results. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He says, you can't even do anything apart from me. So whenever I call you to something, you have to draw on my strength and your weakness even to do it. And so it's all about dependence. I want you to hear my voice and then I want you to trust in me the entire time. We've got to learn to trust in God every day for the life that he calls us to, every single day. And that's what the Bible preaches. It preaches dependence on God. That's what it preaches. And that's what he was trying to help them get in the wilderness. They depended on a slave system. The system in Egypt, because they were slaves, they were told what to do, when to do it, when they were to go to bed, like prison, where their food was going to come from, what their jobs were going to be. It was a mindset. It was a routine. It was how they woke up in the morning. It was how they went to sleep at night. This is your life. And when they got broken out of that, they don't know how to live any more. And so they long to go back to what was familiar, this system where I am told how to live and what to do. And God wanted to break them from the slave mentality, not just the slave incarceration. I want to teach you to have a relationship with the God of your ancestors. And you clearly don't know that yet. I'm going to teach you dependence by starting to break you out of this system and this structure. It's not just about freedom in your location. It's about freedom in your mind, but not freedom for yourself. It's freedom to live with and to live like the one that we are following. A bad illustration, I mean, it works, is that we all have an iPhone or another version of that if, if, if you know, I think I paid like $1,200. I mean, gosh, what in the world? We're going to have a small group for like people that haven't gotten over inflation. You know, <laughs> That is my group, man. Um, but we got this phone, you know, and it's got incredible technology on it. I mean, seriously, like none of us have really figured out all of the things like it can do. You even buy it and you're like, it can do this, 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 and you never use any of those things. <laughs> you just tell your friends like the first couple of days and then you say, oh, I, I don't understand this thing. It'll plug into my car. So if you go one full day, okay, maybe 27 hours, but if you go one full day and you don't plug that phone in to the power source, that thing will be dead. All it is is a high-priced accessory at that point. The phone has a relationship with this thing called electricity. It depends on electricity in order for it to function. And I'm saying that our spiritual life is exactly the same way. That's the whole thing about the manna. I want to do this every day. I want you to learn how to trust me every day. God will even put things in our life so that we have to learn to trust him. He is the electricity. We are that high technology phone. We might be so sophisticated. We might be all this. But friends, when we forget that we have a relationship with a power source and we're not plugged in, whatever we are will not come to bear and the fullness thereof. You just go one night and you and I don't realize how much of what we are doesn't actually function. We have a relationship. It's called dependency. And I've learned that our dependence upon God fuels our pursuit of his voice because we only care about what God has to say if we know that we need it. There has to be this sense in us, I need to hear from God. 
Therefore, I pursue him. Not sometimes, but all the time. The third perspective is this. Our problems are invitations to hear from God. Now, again, I've referred to this. God delivered Israel from slavery. He brought them into a desert with a promise of a better land. And in the desert, they began to experience problems right away. Exodus chapter 14, they've already come out of Egypt. They even took all their gold. God was showing them that I am with you. Clearly that would not happen in any circumstance if God wasn't with them. And they get to this place of the Red Sea and they notice that the Egyptians are following them to overtake them and they are scared. Even though God has delivered them with a mighty hand, God has shown them great and wondrous things. When they see the Egyptians, they get scared and they start to grumble and complain. And this is literally, Literally what they say to Moses, you brought us out here to die. <laughs> you brought us out here to die. It is better where we were. And, uh, you know, the longer that goes, the more they want to kill that man. All right. That's just how it works. You just read the rest of the Bible and you'll see how the leader uh, is usually the target for stoning. I don't want to go on that today <laughs> for obvious reasons. God causes the water to rise up. And it says they walk through on dry ground, Exodus 14. Exodus 15, three days later, they're in the desert. They don't have water and they drink from the spring and they find that it's bitter and they can't drink it. And they get angry. They get upset because they haven't had water for a couple of days. And so they start to grumble and complain. At this point, the Bible just summarizes whatever that is by saying they grumbled against Moses. They did a lot more than that, friends. But at this point, I don't think there's enough pages in the Bible to describe what that looked like. It's like when we say about our younger children, they threw a tantrum. You know you could do a better job describing what that looked like. But they threw a tantrum. Exodus 16, Israel had no food and they began to grumble against Moses and Aaron. Again, I could keep going, but this is just 14, 15, and 6. It's like every chapter shows us the response of the people of Israel, which is exactly the opposite of what God wanted for them. He wanted to disconnect them from the past and all that it was, and he wanted to connect them to his voice and the future of where they were going. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's something about knowing that when we come into a problem, it is an invitation to draw from the one who is not the author of our problems, but he is the author of our solutions. God knows everything. And if you know that you walk with someone that knows everything, there is no reason to panic. Is that right? There was something about God that is not true about us is that he knows the beginning to the end. And we walk with the one that we cannot comprehend, but we can trust that he has all of this in his care. We use the word sovereignty. He is sovereign over all of this. And we read the Bible and it shows us that he loves us. That should be the most profound thing about this entire thing is that God loves us. He is God. He could be however he wants to be, but the Bible reveals a merciful, kind, almighty and all loving God. And thanks be to God that that's who he is because it's not how he would have to be, but it is who he is. He loves us. Us, and he has stamped his love, his approval on us through Jesus Christ. And so whenever we get into a problem, it is an invitation to call on God. What is the plan? Friend, did God know that they weren't going to have water? 
Did God know they weren't gonna have food? Did God know that the Egyptians were gonna pursue them? Did he know? Did God know? Did God know that we were gonna go through a pandemic in 2020? I mean, did he just go, oh man, I didn't see, what's a virus? And look, and now I'm not talking about Northwest Church because you are beautiful, wonderful, amazing, handsome, pretty, you know, <laughs> whatever. But the church in America did not handle the pandemic well if we knew that God has the whole world in his hands. We got to go back to those songs. He's got the whole It's just, it's like, we look at that like, oh, those are kids' songs. Friend, that's your song. That should be your anthem for the next year. That should have been like our literal anthem in 2020. <laughs> Even if we didn't have a smiling on the whole world. <laughs> and, and God, the, God, the whole world. And his hand, God, I believe it. But no, no, we, we, we started to fight with each other. We started to call, call everybody names. We started to divide and we just look foolish to the world. You know, you know what's most foolish is like everybody can have their disagreements about all of that, but here's what we cannot disagree about is God knows. God knows. He knows what's happening. He knows what he's doing. He knows what's going on in our life. God knows. Friend, you might not know, but God knows. God knows. And so every problem that we face is an invitation to do what? To do the one thing Israel did not do, inquire of the Lord. You know, the Bible says about David that he was a man that pursued the heart of God. He's a man after my own heart. To me, that's he pursued the heart of God. He had sin problems. David had some serious issues, did he not? David had issues. But you can count, you can count, and it's triple, perhaps it's even quadruple, the amount of times it says about David, David inquired of the Lord. He might have sinned. He might have done all the things that the other kings did, but he did something that they didn't do. And that was this, David inquired of the Lord. I want to ask you this question today and whatever you've faced, right? We all go through battles. We all go through difficulties, pain, health challenges, all that stuff. My question for you is, are you asking God what the plan is where you are? That's what we have to do. The pursuit of his voice. What are you doing? What does your word say? If you need a promise from God, dig into this book. What is the promise of God for the season that you're in? All that time we spent memorizing and studying this book, friend, we're gonna get into circumstances where we need to know that which we have studied and hold to it. He promised, he said this, if it's for you or if it's for a loved one, we hold on to what God has said. We need what God has said. We need it. It's not just being smart. It's not just knowing stuff like it's another book. We need the words of God. We need to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. How does your perspective need to change so that you can hear God better? How does your perspective need to change so that you can hear God better? I can't answer that for you, but I think we all ought to have an answer to that question. I'm yelling, so you may not, you know, amen. Some people have turned them down. We could dialogue afterwards, sir. We can do that. Principles for pursuing God's voice. I'm just going to hit these really quickly. Number one, pursue God's voice through reading and studying the Bible. I, I know I keep hitting this all the time. I'm a broken record, but I, it is my belief, and based on current statistics, I don't think I'm wrong, that most people don't read the Bible very much. 
And, and here's the reality is, is that it isn't about devotions. It isn't about disciplines. It's about the fact that we need the word. And so my practice is very simple. I read the Bible for at least 30 to 40 minutes a day. I built into that. If you're not there, don't feel bad. Start with five, start with 10, start where you are. But I, I do that and I journal. I have a, I have a, a Bible reading plan. We give it away uh, to the church. It's something that we, that we have been doing for some time. I've been doing a Bible reading plan for at least 15 years. So I read through the whole Bible in a year, the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once. It's 15 to 20 minutes a day to read four chapters of the Bible. You get through the whole thing in a year, 20 minutes. Average American reads or watches television for an hour to two a day. And I, I don't want to have a conversation about how we don't have time. I just don't think that's fruitful. But today, friends, today, here's my journal. Amen. I just write one page a day. This is what I do. And I started buying hardbound journals because the Lord gave me a vision that if I would write in nicer journals, that when I die and I'm going to die, that my children will be able to take everything that I wrote about my relationship with God and that more than any other type of inheritance that they could have, they could have everything that I wrote about God every promise that I felt like he gave me, every observation that I made of scripture, I write this stuff down. And today, friends, you wanna know what today was? I'm so glad you asked. It was Psalm 59 and it was Revelation chapter two. And I started to write about Revelation two where Jesus confronts his church. And he said, I have these things against you. There's three churches. He said, you've left your first love. You hold the false teaching. You don't correct false teaching and you practice sexual immorality. These are all things that he said to believers. And then I wrote down, well, what does he say to do? He says, remember how far you've fallen. Repent and return to the things you once did. Do not fear what you are about to suffer and repent from tolerance, negligence, and sin and turn to me. That was just this morning. And if you don't have that in your life, how are you gonna know God's voice? And the next statement cannot be, I don't have time. Do not tolerate that in your life. Don't tolerate it. I'm not here judging anybody. I'm not here trying to rail on anybody. I hate the enemy. I hate what the world system is doing. I hate the fact that so many young people don't love church because we don't. I hate it. But the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we love the gathering of the saints, friends, we've got a shot at raising up our kids. I share this with you because this is my vision for my own family. And at the end of the day, I believe that I have a responsibility to stir you to the same exact thing. Friend, get stirred. Now is the time. The days are dark. These could be the last days. Know the word of God. Hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I started preaching on something else. Anyways, point two. Pursue God's voice through journaling. I've already talked to you about that, but many of you see I have this other journal. I've got dozens of them. This is my journal of my daily time with God. This is my prophetic journal. I have many, many, many of these. I write down prophetic words. I highly encourage that. You say, well, Ben, I don't prophesy. I'm not a prophet. I don't get prophetic words. Write names. Sometimes I just write names into the journal and I, and I ask the Lord to speak to me for so-and-so. Would you speak to me for this person? And guess what happens? Stuff starts to come to my mind. And I'm not a prophet and I'm not claiming it's all from God, but I just start writing it down. And then sometimes I get my phone out, you know, that $1,200 high technology accessory. And I send a little text message and it floats into cyberspace and then lands in somebody's phone. And then I get these messages back. Man, the timing on that was incredible. You couldn't have known. And the fact is I didn't know, but I was stewarding the voice of God. 
Friend, if you steward the voice of God, you become a life-giving presence to the people in this world. The discouraged, we have an encouragement deficiency. People are going through things, but the more that we steward the voice of God in our life, the more it impacts and affects the people around us. And we never know what that could be. And so journaling to me is more than just loving writing. (laughs) I'm just not that person, but I've realized what it can do. Number three is pursue God's voice through prayer and fasting. I don't have time to go through that. Pursue God's voice through daily asking, number four, and pursue God's voice through the counsel of others. I'll I'll close with this as Jandy comes. I meet a lot of people um, and they go, God has spoken to me. And then they tell me what they think God is saying. And I go, that's not God. I'm not trying to be mean, but that's just, that's just not God. And I want to tell you why we get to places where we think God is speaking to us and, and he's often not. It's because we are isolated from other people that can help us to weigh what the Lord is saying. And perhaps the greatest thing that has happened to us or the worst thing that's happened to us in the last few years is we have separated. And it isn't our fault. I'm not suggesting that it's all of our fault. But it's isolated us in 2020. It's separated us. Our church has changed. The world has changed. And so now we come back together and we don't know how to integrate. We don't. And so then the best idea is let's go back to do what we did. We're not going back to doing what we did. I've said this, and, I, and I'm not trying, trying to be mean about it, but I, I mean this with all of my heart. Like, Jesus' call on his people is to reach the lost and disciple the found. That is what we're responsible to. And when I listen to the Lord, I'm telling you, he is speaking to me about things that are far beyond where we even are right now. I, I mean, sometimes I'm nervous, but you might say, don't be nervous. I am, because I know how uncomfortable it can be change and transition. I do. I know how uncomfortable it can be. You know how uncomfortable it can be as we've gone through so much. But if we're marked by a pursuit of God's voice, friends, I'm telling you, that is the common denominator that settles us into what God is saying. And that's what each person here today needs. We need to have a hold on the voice of God. We've got to have a grip on what God is saying to our life personally. You may not hear God every day. That's not what I'm talking about. You may not hear God for every detail of your life. That's not what I mean. But we have a relationship that is so real with God that he wants to speak to us more than we want to hear from him. That's a fact. And if we know that, and that's part of our mentality, when we draw near to God, we know something is going to happen, even if we don't know what it is. And so I've thought, man, what has happened to us in this season is that it's kind of unraveled the stability and the structure and the systems and all that we've been. And I could just talk about Northwest. It's just unraveled all that. And then we come back together and we're trying to like, how do we do all this? And everybody's got opinions and ideas and all that. And I've just learned that God is speaking to me about being more simple than we've ever been. We got to get back to loving each other. We've got to get it back to real discipleship where we can look at a person and we see that they're changing. We've got to get back to this, the stuff that we know works. The things that like Northwest was a church that grew and it grew big like a tree and it was huge. And then everything was gone. And now we come back together and we got to go back to what we were. The substance of what that was. The substance, not the system. The substance And you can only do that if you hear God. Friend, you can only do that if you hear God. 
I wanna tell you, we're gonna live in the past for far too long and have no joy of the future if we stay there. Did you know God wants you to have joy for your future? If you're living in the grief of the past, I'm not saying grief isn't a part of the human experience, it is. But at some point we gotta say, am I living too much in the grief of what was and not in the joy of what God is doing? And the real issue is, can I even see it? Can I see what God is doing? Can I see it? You can't unless God gives it to you. You can't. It's not just an encouragement from a person. God has to give it to us and he wants to. I was praying for us, uh, you know, to hear the voice of God. Amen. And I want to share with you a word that I got. Here it is for somebody here today. The pain of transition has robbed you of the joy of your future. I just shared that. And I had a picture where someone was nearsighted and they couldn't see beyond where they were. And I, it's like, I, I didn't hear the Holy Spirit say this, but it was like, you need to have spirit-filled corrective lenses. God wants to return your joy. You've got to get excited about what's coming. And you're like, Ben, I want to. I just don't know how to. Here's what we do. God, I need that. I need joy of what's coming. I need joy of things that I haven't seen yet. I need joy that our best days are still at. I need that joy. I need you to give me that joy because I don't have it. God will give that to you. But you got to believe that, friend. You got to believe that God's the giver. God's the source. He's the one. The other thing, I had a vision where someone was walking down a wrong road. It wasn't like a disaster per se, but they were walking down slightly a wrong path and there was a person that literally grabbed their shoulder and stopped them from moving forward. And just they stopped dead in their tracks and it saved them from damage and pain and unnecessary destruction or, or issues in their life. And here's the, I, I think this is a warning, but here's some, you came today and I'm supposed to say this to you and I don't want everybody, that's me. No, it's for somebody specific. The Lord is stopping you from making some wrong decisions right now. And one of the signs, I was praying about this, and one of the signs is, is that you're making too many decisions out of your emotion. We all are emotional, we have emotions. It's a beautiful thing that God's, but you cannot make your decisions based on how you feel. Your anger, which is a secondary emotion, and these other, you've gotta stop if you're feeling a certain way. God is trying to stop you from moving forward in that today. And it's a warning but it's also the Lord's mercy to stop us in our tracks and move us down a different path. God has that for someone here today. And if you would stand, I wanna pray for this last thing. You thought I was gonna keep going. I could, I won't, I won't. It's, oh, 1031, all right. You didn't even know it was that, did you? No, you did, a couple of you, I'm sorry. Um, yesterday I, I was praying, um, and I see visions, you know, it's, it's, it's quite frequent for me, not all, every single day, but especially as I pray for our church, I just see a lot of visions. And so I, I, I probably hold back more than anything just because there's not enough time. But I saw, I saw this picture of our physical building and underneath it, I saw like this fire. It was like embers in, in, in these uh, pieces of wood. And I knew they just needed to turn over. They needed to just get stoked and provoked. And, and I was like, I heard the Lord say, there's a revival fire that's been stirring under this church for a long time. And I believe God's gonna send 
a type of flame that you and I need to be ready for, a fire, a passion for Christ. As I prayed over this, you know, I get excited because I love revival. I want to see revival. I do. And I pray, I pray every day for revival for our church, for our, our, our nation. I pray revival for our church. I ask God to send it here first. I always do. God's waking up his people. He's waking up his people. It's time to be awake. And so as I prayed over this, I started to feel like a burn, but it wasn't a burn that hurt. It was, a bur- it was like a sensation of God's presence that I'm familiar with. I don't get it all the time, but I'm, fami- I'm not a feely guy. I'm not. I'm not like, oh, did you feel that? I don't feel a lot of stuff. I, I always say no. I did. It's faith for me, usually more than feelings, but I started to feel this burn, this passion for God. And I just began to pray. And as I prayed, I saw, man, friends, I saw us walking into revival that we have never seen before. Now that's a lofty thing to say, I know. And some people debate over the word, you know, it's, it's misused, it's too, you. I don't care. I love the word revival. It means that we're awake. It means that we're alive. It means that we're alive to Jesus more than anything else. We're alive to him. And I wanna pray that God touches us with revival. And when revival happens, friends, if you don't know Jesus, you come to know Jesus. If you're not really walking with him, you're gonna start walking with him. If you feel like you're just bored in your Christian life, like I'm just bored reading the Bible, I don't like to pray, I don't feel like anything's happening and I'm praying and it's just, not, it's just hitting the ceiling and that's it. Friend, that changes in revival. All of a sudden there's a passion that is uncontainable and it drives us beyond all of those other things. And that's what we need. We don't need just more knowledge. We need God to touch our lives and we need him to start today. Will you yield to that prayer? Will you ask God with me for that? A revival that is literally underneath our church. I want us to be consumed with it. Friend, come on. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for revival. I pray that we would be awake to what you're doing, that you would burn away the sin, that you would burn away lesser things, the insignificance that sometimes we yield to. We repent, God. We turn from lesser things, and we ask you to fill us with the Holy Spirit today. I pray just for a corporate baptism with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would overwhelm us, Lord, that you would saturate us with the pursuit of your presence, your person, your voice, and we would desire to be consumed with no less than all that you are. God, I pray that you would even start to speak to us and our kids, visions and dreams, hunger for the word of God, desire to share with other people that are, are those that are married, we would grab hands at night and we would pray like it matters because it does. I pray over all of the marriages here right now. I pray there would be revival in marriage to love you and to love each other and to be an example to the world around us and to our children. There'd be a revival in our children. There would be a revival in all of the things that we put our hand to in this city and in this nation. We ask for it, God, but start with us. Start with us today. Break the casual, break the indifference, break those things that hold us back so that we would move forward. And I say this over us today, we are moving forward in the name of Jesus Christ. We are moving into what you have been speaking about for a long time. And we thank you, God, that you're moving. We wanna join in with your will for this time. And anything that is causing us to be hindered, we pray, Father, that you would, Remove those things. God, we thank you for what you're doing. And we pray for revival 
in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church. Church.